0: Challenge what is expected of you. This world is not your home. You are different. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're in week 2 of our series called Different. And the whole idea of it is that uh, Peter is writing to the Christians uh, who were all throughout the Asia Minor area and this during the time of Nero. And Nero was doing lots of things to persecute the Christians there. He blamed them for burning down Rome, which he really did. And so now they're being uh, thrown to animals to be eaten. They're being burned alive on trees. There's all kinds of really horrible things that are happening to the Christians at this time. And so Peter's writing a letter of encouragement to the Christians. And the central idea behind it is that this world that we're in right now, this isn't our home. This isn't the place where we're, this isn't the culture we're supposed to live out of. This isn't the place where we're going to spend all of eternity. We are temporarily here, but we're living here as aliens, not as citizens. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We live out the culture of the kingdom of heaven. And while we're here, we might go through suffering, we might go through hard times, and that's okay because this is just such a short, Piece of eternity that we're going through. So we can go through life, through suffering, through heartache, through all of these things with hope and with joy inside of us because we know what our eternity is. We know who our Father is. We know where our true citizenship is and that's in heaven. And because of the fact that we aren't from here, it means that we're going to behave very different from everybody else that's around us. Now, when I was in high school, my senior year, we had these uh, three German exchange students. I got to be pretty close to them and we had a lot of fun doing things together, uh, introducing them to rural America, which might not be as cool as they had hoped it would be, but they got to experience rural America. And I remember two of the girls, when they they first came, all three of them, they they dressed the same, they looked the same, they all listened to the same music, all that kind of stuff, and it was German because they were German citizens. That's where they're from. They were temporarily in the United States. But what happened was over time, two of the girls started to become very American looking. Uh, They started to dress just like all the rest of us did. They started listening to the same music that we did. They acted the way that we did. And there was one girl who never did. She kept dressing the same way. That was a little different than us. And she kept listening to this really terrible German music that she would always have me listen to with her. Yeah, I'm glad you like that. (laughs) That was always my response. But she was always, people would give her a hard time and she's like, I'm German. I'm not an American. Of course, like I'm, gonna, this, I'm not going to act like an American. I'm a German. I'm just here for a year. And I think that's a beautiful example of the way that we're called to live as disciples of Jesus. I think one of the hardest things for us is that we want to try to fit in. There's pressure on us to try to look and act and talk and be just like all of the people that are around us. There's this pressure that's always trying to cause us to fit in. But Jesus hasn't called us to fit in. He hasn't called us to blend in, to go beneath the radar. He's called us to stand out. He's called us to be different from all of the world that's around us. Jesus said, you are salt and you are light. And salt and light are two things that when they're there, you notice it. Have you ever had food without salt in it? It's terrible. It's terrible. I mean, it's absolutely awful, but you add salt into some food and there's this flavor comes to it. Something that was terrible becomes really good. Have you ever had mashed potatoes without salt in them? Disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. I had someone that I love dearly that once made that for me, my beautiful wife. Uh, But but like once you add salt into mashed up potatoes, it just unlocks flavor. It's different. You'd never want to go back. Light, what is light? It's beautiful. When you're in a dark room and you turn on the light, there's no way you cannot notice the light because darkness can't overcome it. Light dispels the darkness that's around it. You're called to be the light of the world. So Isaiah says that the world, there's darkness that's on the people and thick darkness that covers the land, but behold, your light has come and you're called to be radiant and you're called to shine. When you take up the call of Jesus, when you say, I'm just a temporary resident on this earth, I'm really a kingdom citizen, that's that's my home, because that's my home and that's my culture, I'm going to live and I'm going to act different from everybody else that's around me. I'm not gonna try to blend in. I'm not gonna try to fit. I'm not gonna allow people to pressure me to compromise who it is that God has called me to be. And as we do that, we become beautiful to the world that's around us. And what we have to do is we have to become so passionate about being different, being kingdom different, not just weirdos or crazy people, but being kingdom different that other people in our culture around us, they look at us and they see how beautiful we are. We bring flavor to life, we're the salt, we bring beauty to the world by being light. And we're so passionate about being different and being like Jesus that they look at us and they say, I want to be different like you. I want to be like the Jesus that you're becoming like. That's the greatest testimony that any of us could ever have. The greatest form of evangelism that we have is that we become the proof of the power of God to change and transform our hearts and turn us into something new and something beautiful and beyond what we ever could have hoped for or what we ever could have imagined. We're called to be different. And that's what this whole letter that Paul's writing is about. And he starts out um, talking last week about how we can have a different kind of faith through the trials that we go through. And this week he's going to talk about because we're different, because we're citizens of the kingdom of God and this isn't our home, that we're going to have different values in an unholy culture. And he begins in verse 14. He says, As obedient children... Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. He starts out by saying, as obedient children. That's the way he's addressing us. Now, that might seem like an oxymoron to any of you that have children. Like, obedient children, those two words do not go together, especially if you have little kids like I do. Uh, my kids were not born obedient. I'm helping them become obedient over time. That's a part of the maturing process for them. But you ever notice you didn't have to teach your kids to be bad? I didn't have to teach my kids to hit people. They figured that out. I didn't have to teach my kids to try to steal things from other people. They just figured that out naturally. That was a part of who they were when they were born. It says that there's evil desires that are inside of us and that we have to learn to become obedient children. Uh, My little girl, I love her right now. We're, We're trying to teach her to share Says so like the hardest potty training was nothing. Teaching a child to share, that's the real battle. And she wants everybody else to share with her, right? Like, Ethan, share that with me. And that's how she tries to take everything from everybody else. says, oh, I want you to share it with me. But then she will never say, like, I don't want to share. She'll hold on to it and cry and everything. So we're teaching her to become obedient. It's a process that happens with her. And it's the same way for us. When you first put your faith in Jesus, do you realize, oh my goodness, Jesus is God, and he loves me, and he died for me, and now I want to follow after him. The life I was living, that's no good. I want to follow after Jesus and the life that he has for me. I believe that, that he's forgiven me of my sins on the cross. All of my faith, my hope, my trust is in him. Now, just because you made that decision doesn't mean that now you're a mature Christian, It doesn't mean that any of the desires in your life have changed because when you make that decision, you might be 80 years old. My grandpa decided to follow Jesus when he was 90 years old. So he might have been a really old man, but he was just like a little itty-bitty baby Christian. And he hadn't matured yet at all. And we have these desires that are naturally born inside of us. We have sinful, what Peter described as evil desires that are inside of us. And we used to be ignorant to the fact that they were bad things. Just because you put your faith in Jesus doesn't mean that now you know his whole call and his whole plan for leading you into holiness and righteousness and his plans and purposes are for your life. It's a process that you go through of going from spiritual infancy into maturity. And the way that we all start out as spiritual infants in our faith is that we're all about pursuing happiness. I would say that spiritual immaturity, and I'm not saying that to shame or condemn anybody because you got to start somewhere, right? Like you can't grow up if you haven't been born. So when you're born, it's a beautiful thing, but there's a lot of immaturity that's inside of us that that Jesus tries to work out of us as we mature in our faith. And when we start out, what we're doing is we think that the scripture says, uh, like, just as God is happy, so he's called us to be happy. And so we spend our whole life trying to make ourselves happy. And surely he's the God who wants to make us happy. Jesus, I just ask that you would make me happy today, that you would make bad thoughts and feelings go away, and all that stuff. And so we're just following after happiness again and again and again. But that's not God's call for us. God's highest call for us is holiness. That's what he's leading us into. Not happiness, but holiness. Holiness. What we do oftentimes, though, is we allow our culture to affect our view of God. Now, in our culture, happiness is the greatest value. If you don't believe me, look at the Declaration of Independence. What are the inalienable rights that it spells out for us? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of holiness. No, wait. Happiness. In our founding document, we say we're going to go to war with England and King George because we have the right to pursue happiness. Happiness. And really, we don't even value life or liberty because if it means that we want to be happy, then we will enslave a race of people and kill a race of people and not let women vote because we're not really about life and liberty. We're really about the pursuit of happiness and we will subject everyone else and anything else that gets between us and our happiness. So then, because that's culturally how we view life, is that it's all about making me happy, well then surely Jesus must be about making me happy as well. But that's not the call of God for you. His greatest goal for you isn't for you to be happy. His greatest call for you as a believer is to be holy. The greatest call for all Christians is our holiness. But if we're pursuing happiness, some really messy things start to happen. If we have a theology of happiness that the whole point of life is for me to be happy and Jesus came and died on a cross to make me happy, then what we start to do is we start to use ha- our pursuit of happiness as a justification to do things that are wrong. Uh, when I uh, meet with people who are struggling in their marriage and the marriage is falling apart, by far the number one thing that people tell me is, well, I'm just not happy in my marriage anymore. Like, well, is someone cheating on you? Or are they abusing kids? Are they hitting you? Like, what's going on here? Well, no, I'm just not happy in this, and I don't know if I ever will be happy again in this relationship. I'm like, well, no, I'm not happy because I'm here listening to you talking. I'm like, like, our pursuit isn't happiness. Jesus didn't go to the cross and die because it made him happy. That was not why he did that. The Christians didn't get fed to animals and burned on trees because it was their pursuit of happiness that led them to that. It was their pursuit of holiness. Our pursuit of happiness always takes us away from all of the good things that God has called us to. When the marriages, okay, I'm not happy in my marriage. So I know I made a covenant with Jesus that I was going to forsake all others and be with this person for the rest of my life that we were going to become one for all of eternity. But I'm not happy anymore. And, you know, God really wants me to be happy. So I'm going to leave the marriage and go find someone else that will make me happy. It happens to us all the time in finances. Uh, People, what happens is you're looking for a house, right? And you can afford this house in the realtor. You tell them that. You're like, hey, this is my max that I can afford. You're like, okay, well, let me show you this house. That's double what you said was the max you could afford. You're like, no. Like, this is what I can afford. But now that I've seen what I could have, I don't like what I can afford anymore. So, like, I'll meet somewhere in the middle and I'll go farther into debt than I was and I ever meant to be and destroy myself financially because I want to be happy. So my kids do that at Christmas. Uh, it's like, Daddy, if you give me this for Christmas, I'll be so happy and I'll never ask you for anything. Daddy, if you get us a puppy, I'll take care of it. I'll feed it. I'm like, you're six weeks old. You can't take care of a puppy. That's going to be me taking care of it. Daddy, I'll be so happy and I'll never be happy if I don't have a puppy and I'll never ask for anything else again. We still do that when we get old. Oh, if I just had this car. Oh, my gosh, I would be so happy. That happens to me. A yellow Lamborghini with the scissor doors, like, I would be so happy. Everything else I don't care about, but that car, like, I need it. Now it's all I can think about. But we have these decisions that we make that ruin us financially because we're pursuing happiness. Uh, Or we look at our careers and we're like, oh, if I just had this position, I'd be happy. So we sacrifice time with our kids and our spouse and everything else because we got to go and we got to build this. And if we just had this, I'd be happy. If I had this boat, I'd be happy. And we just ruin ourselves if if we're in a, a dating relationship. And it's like, well, you know, I'm married in my heart. I have physical needs. You know, like I know Jesus wants me to wait till we're married, but you know, like I I won't be happy that way. And so we can just justify anything that we want if we have a theology of happiness. This week in the news, you saw about the movie executive who is in a lot of trouble right now because it's come out that he was abusing and raping women. How did that happen? He had a theology of happiness. He thought the most important value that I have, the most important thing in all of this world is that I am happy. And then he was able to rationalize and justify everything else that he did, progressively getting worse and worse, until he was doing things that we look at and think, how could any human ever do something like that? It's because he wanted to be happy. And he was willing to take everything else away from anyone else so that he could achieve his happiness. We look at that and we think, I could never do that. That's like a monster. It is a monster, and every single one of us are capable of doing that. If we decide that our greatest value in this world is our happiness, every monster that's ever lived throughout history was all so they could be happy. Every time we sin, it's not because we're trying to be holy Is because we're pursuing a theology of happiness. And when we look to God and we're looking for him to be the one that makes us happy, oftentimes what happens is we become frustrated with God, we become discontent with him, and we end up walking away from him because he's not providing for us what it is that we want. And so we start going and looking to other gods. And we look for them, like money. We look at careers. We look at different things, relationships to be what's going to make us happy since God isn't providing that for us. And it just leads us into destruction and destruction and destruction and farther and farther away from God over and over again. That's not the life that you were called for. That's not what Jesus died on a cross to provide you with. He isn't the God of your happiness. Because happiness is based on happenstance. It's all based on circumstances. Something happens that makes you happy. Something bad happens that makes you sad or unhappy. That's not your greatest pursuit. It's not your calling. What God has called you to is holiness. Yes. And it is so much better than happiness. What holiness means is it's, uh, it means purity. But it also means to be called and to be set apart for something. And what Jesus is doing is he's saying that you are called to be pure and you are called to be set apart for my purposes for your life. And following after me means that you're going to live a life of of removing other things from you and saying, you know what, my life isn't for this anymore. My life isn't to pursue happiness. My life isn't about satisfying different desires that I have. My life isn't about building up me and all these things. My life is about how am I used, not for myself, but how am I going to be used by God for his plans and his purposes for my life. That's what holiness is. It's coming back to Jesus and saying, God, what was it that you created me for? Because that's what I'm going to give my entire life to. Following Jesus means that you're going to look very different from the world around you. It means that the values that you have are going to be very different from the values of the world that's around you. And if you aren't living a life right now that looks drastically different from those around you who aren't following Jesus, then what it means is that you aren't following Jesus, but instead you're following the gods that everyone else around us is following after. That's not the life you were called to. You were called to be salt. You were called to be light. You weren't meant to give yourself to vain and empty pursuits. Uh, You were meant to give yourself to the plans and the purposes of the living God who created you and formed you and shaped you and has called you to a destiny to be a world changer and a history maker. And he's called you to know him deeply and intimately. That's what holiness is and that's the highest calling that any of us could ever have. And then he goes on and he says, So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. If you come to this point where you recognize that I'm supposed to be holy, my life is about following after Jesus and denying the sinful desires that are inside of me, what happens though is you notice sometimes you slip back into sin. You fall back into it. Have you ever noticed that not once in your entire life have you ever fallen into holiness? You have never slipped into righteousness. I was never like, yeah, I'm going to go cuss out a friend. Whoa, I just blessed them instead. What happened? I slipped up. Like that never, ever happens. You never fall into sexual purity. Those aren't what happens to you. You fall into sin. You slip back into the old desires that are inside of you. And here's how it happens. Satan's really clever. And we have an enemy and I think we, need, we don't live in fear of our enemy, but we live with a constant awareness of him and we're, we're wise to his schemes and to his plans. It says that we have to know what his strategies are so that we can overcome them or we're not surprised by them when they come against us. He's really subtle. Satan never comes up to you and says, Hey, I'm the devil. Want to be a Satanist? Like, what do you say we go sacrifice some goats? It's going to be a great time. We'll cast some spells on people. You'll enjoy it. He never does that because we're all like, no way, I don't want to sacrifice goats. That's disgusting. I don't want to be a Satanist. But what he does is he comes and he's real subtle about the way that he tries to have you slip back and fall back into the old desires you have. Look at what happened to Adam and Eve. They're existing in, they're holy. They're righteous. There's no sin in the world. They don't even have any sinful desires. They walk with God every single day. The physical manifestation of God is there with them. His audible voice is speaking to them. But Satan still comes and he tempts them. And the way that he attacks is he says, did God really say? He didn't say God's a liar or God's bad or you know, come follow me and sacrifice animals. He's like, did God really say this? Did God really say that you're going to die if you sin? Did God really say that you can't have this fruit? Is that what he really said? And that's what happens to us all the time today. We try to take uh, what God has clearly said, and we, well, if I interpret this right through cultural context and everything else, and this isn't what God really meant by that, really what God meant is whatever it is that fits my own desires. And so when God comes to you, he says, or about Satan, when Satan comes to you, he'll say, Did God really say this? Or did God really say that you can't watch that show on HBO or that series on Netflix? you're like, well, I don't flip through my Bible. I don't see any concordance. I don't see Netflix listed anywhere in here. Like, we're all good. Or did God say that you really can't say that word? You know, C.S. Lewis said some of those words, so it must be okay for you if C.S. Lewis did it. Or he'd come along and you're like, you know, did God really say that you can't do this thing like with your girlfriend? Because, I mean, you guys are married in God's eyes, right? Did God really say, I mean, what's a piece of paper matter anyways? He's always coming, he's always saying, did God really say this? He's trying to get you to doubt the truth of what it is that God's revealed. He's trying to warp it to you so that it becomes something that's going to make you happy. You'll be able to pursue your own happiness, but in doing it, you give up the holiness that God has called you to. And it's always in these really subtle ways, just nudging you a little bit, just moving the line of compromise for you. Just one step, just one step and he takes you farther and farther away. And one of my favorite ones like, did God really say that, you know, like, you can't post half-naked pictures of yourself on social media? Guys and girls. Guys, too. I've seen a lot more of that lately. It makes me feel really bad about my own body. Stop. Like, hey, I get more likes. There's nothing in the Bible about Instagram. I mean, hey, if it gets me a few more likes, I'd be like, hey. <laughs> and I just lost five people but it's always, did God really say? Trying to get you to slip back. Trying to get you to fall back into the old desires that you had. But here's how we justify it. Well, it's not as bad as this other show I could be watching or it's not as bad as some, it's not the mother of all bad words. Come on, it's, it's not that big a deal. Like, we're gonna get married someday or, you know, like, it's my money. I can do whatever I want with it. I can be greedy or, you know, that person, I am not supposed to love my enemies, but that person was a real jerk to me. I don't have to forgive them. I don't have to bless them. He just keeps trying to get you to move that. And you say, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Well, you know what? The standard isn't anyone else. The standard is Jesus. The standard is the holy call that he has for us. That's what we measure ourselves up against. We don't compare ourselves to anyone else. We don't say, did God really say this and try to make it so it fits our own desires. We come to the scripture and say, God, I believe that you've revealed truth to me. I believe that when I follow your truth, that it leads to life and to prospering in my soul and walking into the destiny that you've called me for. And I'm willing to leave everything else behind so that I can be holy. So why does holiness even matter? Why is it such a big deal to Jesus? Why is it such a big deal to Peter as he's writing it? Living holy matters because of the call that's on your life and because of the price that Jesus paid so you could live out that call on your life. It says that we're a people who are redeemed. When we sinned, we became slaves to sin. And there was nothing that we could do to free ourselves from it. We had a holy call on us. We were called to know God intimately and deeply and to see his kingdom expand on the face of the earth, live out that holy call on us. And we threw it away through sin and we became slaves who couldn't know God and who couldn't live out the destiny we'd been called to. But it says that because he loves us so much that he came and he redeemed us. And not with what we think of as important. We think that money is the greatest thing in all of the world, that it has the most value. It's why we fight wars. It's why we hate other people. It's why we do all sorts of really stupid things. But he says something more than money was paid for your redemption. There was no amount of silver or gold that could free you. It took the broken body and the spilled blood of Jesus on the cross to redeem you. When God looked at you In your state of slavery, he loved you so much and believed that you were so worthy and he believed that you and that the call that you had was so important that he was willing to lay down his own life to redeem you so that you could know him and so that you could live a holy life set apart for him and for his purposes, living out the life that you were created to live. And the joy and the peace and the contentment that comes along with that. That's what he paid for you to have that life. That's why holiness matters. And when we come and receive the gift of salvation that he bought for us and the freedom from sin that he bought for us, and then we go right back to the old way of life, it's just throwing away that gift. It's saying, Jesus, your sacrifice was in vain. I can't do that. The gift is too great. The price that was paid is just too precious. And the life that I've been called to is too valuable for me to throw it away because I'm going to continue to follow after the sinful desires of my heart that not only separate me from God, but also lead me to destruction. My pursuit of happiness leads me to being profoundly and deeply unhappy. We just jump around from one thing to the next. Okay, I'm not happy. I'm going to do this. This makes me happy for a little bit, and then it doesn't make me happy. So now I've got to find something else. So I abandon everything else to so go do something else that's going to make me happy. And something else that's going to make me happy. And something else that's going to make me happy. And then we're on our deathbed, and we realize that we wasted our entire life, and we burned every bridge. And we have a profound sense of discontentment inside of us because we never knew God, and we never lived out His call in our life. That's not the end that I want. It's not the end that I want for any of you. It's not the end that Jesus wants for any of us. He called us to be holy. Here's what happens a lot of times in our culture, though. It's been happening for all time. This is the backbone of all religion. Is that there's a God who's pure, who's holy and just, and we're really not pure, holy, and just. That's where it all starts. That's what we all have in common. But then a religious spirit says that we have to make ourselves holy before we can know God. We have to make ourselves good enough. We have to overcome all sin and temptation so that we can know God. Christianity is different. It says that holiness isn't the way that you know God. Knowing God is the way that you become holy. That's where it starts. Right now, this morning, if you find yourself and you recognize that you're struggling with sin issues, that you're not living the holy life that God's called you to, that there's some desires that are pulling you away from the life that God's called you to, and you recognize that, and you feel like you can't come close to Jesus, you can't know him intimately, deeply, or start living out his call on your life because of that, that's a lie. That's what did God really say. He never said that. The message of the gospel is that when you were messed up and broken, that he died for you. When you were lost, when you were the one sheep that was gone, he left the 99 behind to go looking for you. That's the message of the gospel. You can't make yourself good. You can't make yourself holy. Jesus is the one who does that inside of you. You just partner with him and allowing him to do that inside of you. Spiritual immaturity, pursuing happiness and thinking that you have to make yourself right before you can know God. Spiritual maturity is knowing that my pursuit is going to be holiness, setting myself apart for God and for his plans and purposes, and that the only way that I'm going to be able to do that is not of my own willpower but it's by allowing Jesus to come in and to be the strength inside of me that enables me to overcome every temptation that I might face and to light a fire in my heart so that my desire for him is greater than any other desire that I have. Really, it's a battle of desires. And this is how holiness works, through knowing Jesus. When I got married to Anna, I loved her with all of my heart. Now it turns out I really love her and I didn't know what love was 12 years ago. You've all probably been through that experience. But I haven't been faithful to her because of the fact that I signed a piece of paper and said some vows and said now there's a cultural expectation that I have to be faithful to my wife. You know, Every single one of us, we all deal with sexual temptation. Every single person. I don't think we have to hide that. That the enemy going to come and he's going to bring sexual temptation into any of our marriages, any relationship, even if you're single. Like It's going to be there but I'm not faithful to my wife and faithful to the call of God on me just because there's a rule that I have to follow, but because I have a desire and a passion inside of my heart to know Jesus and to keep my relationship with him burning. And because of my love for Jesus, I would never want to do anything that would break his heart because of my love for my wife and my passion for her. it doesn't mean that there's no temptation. It just means that every temptation that comes around, I'm like, no way. I don't, that's not even possible. I will never do that because I don't ever want to break the heart of my wife and ruin the marriage that God's called me to. The only way that you're going to live a holy life is when you allow Jesus to be the one who works it up inside of you and when it's not just self-discipline of saying no to some things, But it's saying yes to Jesus, allowing him to strengthen you and have a fire that's built in your heart for him so great and so uncontainable that your desire for Jesus and intimacy with him makes every other sinful desire just look incomparably small and so unworthy of it. And when we look at Jesus, we see the holiness and we see the blessings and the beauty that come from him. And we look at this this, uh, temptation to sin and we see nothing but destruction inside of it that's not tempting to us anymore. That's how we live a holy life. That's the life that God has called you to. It's the life that he's called me to. That's how we live with a different set of values in an unholy culture. And Jesus isn't here this morning to shame you or to condemn you. That's not what parents do to their kids. Like when my kids started to walk, it wasn't like, oh, you fell down. Shame on you. Oh, wait into the pit for eternity with the flames and the worms. Like, I was like, no, get back up. You can do this. You're called to more. Don't quit. Get back up. And that's what Jesus is saying to you this morning. If you've been going and you're struggling with this call to holiness and living according to a different set of values, Jesus isn't here to condemn you and shame you about that this morning. He's calling you to maturity. He's calling you to something more. He's wanting to stir up new desires and new passions in your heart so that you can say yes to him and say no to everything else that would lead you away from him. But this morning it starts with allowing a desire and a passion for him to is to be built and kindled inside of you. That's why, as a church in this next year, we're going to go so hard after becoming a church that's a, that's a house of prayer and worship. Because the more I pray and the more I worship, the more I know Jesus. And the more I know Jesus, the more I see how beautiful and how good He is and how worthy He is, and the more I want to live a holy life. I want to live after everything that He's called me to. And the more ugly and unattractive every sinful desire and temptation becomes to me. It starts with this decision. Will I be holy? Will I live in a way that's different from the culture that's around me? And how am I going to do that? Is it going to be by my own strength? Or is it going to be by the power of the living God inside of me? Stirring up new desires in my heart. Do you all stand with me this morning? Let's just take a minute to pray together. God, would you speak to us? We know that we were made to hear your voice. Would you come and would you speak to us now? he show us anywhere where we haven't been pursuing holiness but we've been pursuing happiness how would He show us the lies that we've been believing how would He show us the places where you've been saying did God really say this as a way to justify what we do This morning, I know there's a lot of us here that there's become a sin issue that you can't get past something that you're struggling with and you've tried over and over again and you haven't been able to break free from it. You've probably felt shame and you felt condemnation. You felt like you had to hide from God because of it and you couldn't draw close to him. Maybe you felt like you were ugly in the eyes of your father because of it. morning, Jesus wants you to know that you're beautiful. I think especially for one of you, you need to hear that you're a daughter, that you have a good father who loves you and cherishes you, who gave himself up for you. Not because you deserved it, but because you were worthy of it. Because that's what you were created to be, was a daughter. this morning, I think he wants to set some of you free, that you've just been trying again and again by your own strength and power and haven't been able to do it. This morning, he wants to break the lie of having to become holy to approach Jesus and to let you know that you can approach him now right where you are. He calls you into the open arms, that he made a way for you to be righteous on the cross. It's not by what you do, it's by what he has done. And now he wants to light a fire in your heart to know him and to know his goodness and encounter him That's going to set you on the path towards holiness. And it's a path that you won't walk with perfection. That's why there's grace. And every time you fall, he's calling you to get back up and to keep coming after him. If that's you this morning, just be honest and real with God and admit that. Ask him to forgive you. And Holy Spirit, be the power, be the strength. Holy Spirit, light the fire. A passion in our hearts for you. A passion in our hearts to live a holy life that is so different and so beautiful that others will want to see you too, Jesus. That others will want the forgiveness that we found, the grace and the mercy that we have, the peace, the joy, the contentment, the holy call and destiny that we have because they see how transformed we are by you. name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to call my prayer partners forward. I'm just going to be on the outsides in the front here. If there's anything that we can pray with you about, come and let us do that. If you need some healing in your body, let us pray for you. We need wisdom for a decision, provision, um, the ability to forgive someone, or maybe you're struggling with something. It says in the Bible that when we're struggling with a sin, we need to come and confess it to someone else so that we can be healed. It doesn't mean you have to confess it for you to be forgiven by God. We don't need any mediator between us and God for forgiveness of sins. But there's something powerful about confessing our sin to someone else. Because what it does is it removes it from the domain of the darkness where you feel guilt and shame about it. By confessing it, you expose it to the light so someone else can come and encourage you. And a lot of times, just for me in my own personal life, once I've confessed sin to someone else, The weight and the burden of it is lifted from me. And the healing really begins. So if we can pray for you in any way, come forward. Let us pray for you. If not, go out, drink some coffee, meet some friends, and live a life that's different. God bless.